Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you would like to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash justsleeppod. Tonight, I will be reading two Christmas stories. A Christmas Time by Anton Chekhov and The Child's Story by Charles Dickens. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me 
read you a story. At Christmas Time by Anton Chekhov What shall I write? said Yegor, and he dipped his pen in the ink. Vasilisa had not seen her daughter for four years. Her daughter, Gefimia, had gone after her wedding to Petersburg, had sent them two letters, and since then seemed to vanish out of their lives. There had been no sight or sound of her. And whether the old woman were milking her cow at dawn, or heating her stove, or dozing at night, she was always thinking of one and the same thing. What was happening to Yefimia, whether she were alive out yonder? She ought to have sent a letter, but the old father could not write, and there was no one to write. But now Christmas had come, and Vasilisa could not bear it any longer, and went to the tavern to Yegor, the brother of the innkeeper's wife, who had sat in the tavern doing nothing ever since he came back from the army. People said that he could write letters very well if he were properly paid. Vasilisa talked to the cook at the tavern, then to the mistress of the house, then to Yegor himself. They agreed upon fifteen kopecks. And now, it happened on the second day of the holidays in the tavern kitchen. Yegor was sitting at the table, holding the pen in his hand. Vasilisa was standing before him, pondering with an expression of anxiety and woe on her face. Pyotr, her husband, a very thin old man with a brownish bald patch, had come with her. He stood looking straight before him like a blind man. On the stove, a piece of pork was being braised in a saucepan. It was spurting and hissing, and seemed to be actually saying, flu, flu, flu. It was stifling. What am I to write? Igor asked again. What? asked Vasilisa, looking at him angrily and suspiciously. Don't worry me. You're not writing for nothing, no fear. You'll be paid for it. Come, write, to our dear son, Andrei Rysanfich, and to our only beloved daughter, Yefimia Petrovna. With our love, we send a low bow and our parental blessing abiding forever. Written. Fire away. And we wish them a happy Christmas. We are alive and well. And I wish you the same, please the Lord, the Heavenly King. Vasilisa pondered and exchanged glances with the old man. And I wish you the same, please the Lord, the Heavenly King, she repeated, beginning to cry. She could say nothing more. And yet, before, when she lay awake thinking at night, it seemed to her that she could not get all she had to say into a dozen letters. Since the time when her daughter had gone away with her husband, much water had flowed into the sea. The old people had lived feeling bereaved and sighed heavily at night as though they had buried their daughter. And how many events had occurred in the village since then, how many marriages and deaths, how long the winters had been, how long the nights. It's hot, said Igor unbuttoning his waistcoat. It must be seventy degrees. What more? he asked. The old people were silent. What does your son-in-law do in Petersburg? asked Igor. He was a soldier, my good friend, the old man answered in a weak voice. 
He left the service at the same time as you did. He was a soldier, and now, to be sure, he is at Petersburg at a hydropathic establishment. The doctor treats the sick with water, so he, to be sure, is house porter at the doctor's. Here it is written down, said the old woman, taking a letter out of her pocket. We got it from Euphemia, goodness knows when. Maybe they're no longer in this world. Igor thought a little and began writing rapidly. At the present time, he wrote, since your destiny, through your own doing, allotted you to the military career, we counsel you to look into the code of disciplinary offences and fundamental laws of the war office, and you will see in that law the civilization of the officials of the war office. He wrote and kept reading aloud what was written, while Vasilisa considered what she ought to write. How great had been their want the year before, how their corn had not lasted even till Christmas, how they had to sell their cow. She ought to ask for money, ought to write that the old father was often ailing and would soon no doubt give up his soul to God. But how to express this in words? What must be said first and what afterwards? Take note, Yegor went on writing. In Volume 5 of the Army Regulations, soldier is a common noun and a proper one. A soldier of the first rank is called a general and of the last a private. The old man stirred his lips and said softly, It would be all right to have a look at the grandchildren. What grandchildren? asked the old woman, and she looked angrily at him. Perhaps there are none. Well, but perhaps there are. Who knows? And thereby you can judge, Igor hurried on, what is the enemy without and what is the enemy within. The foremost of our enemies within is Bacchus. The pen squeaked, executing upon the paper flourishes like fish hooks. Igor hastened and read over every line several times. He sat on a stool, sprawling his broad feet under the table, well fed, bursting with health with a coarse animal face and a red bull neck. He was vulgarity itself, coarse, conceited, invincible, proud of having been born and bred in a pothouse, and Vasilisa quite understood the vulgarity, but could not express it in words, and could only look angrily and suspiciously at Yegor. Her head was beginning to ache, and her thoughts were in confusion from the sound of his voice and his unintelligible words, from the heat and the stuffiness. And she said nothing and thought nothing, but simply waited for him to finish scribbling. But the old man looked with full confidence. He believed in his old woman who had brought him there, and in Yegor, and when he had mentioned the hydropathic establishment, it could be seen that he believed in the establishment and in the healing efficacy of water. Having finished the letter, Yegor got up, and read the whole of it through from the beginning. The old man did not understand, but he nodded his head trustfully. That's all right, it is smooth, he said. God give you health. That's all right. They laid on the table three five kopeck pieces and went out of the tavern. The old man looked immovably straight before him, as though he were blind, and perfect trustfulness was written on his face. But as Vasilisa came out of the tavern, she waved angrily at the dog and said, angrily, Ugh, the plague. The old woman did not sleep all night. She was disturbed by thoughts, 
and by daybreak she got up, said her prayers, and went to the station to send off the letter. It was between eight and nine miles to the station. Dr. B. O. Musselweiser's hydropathic establishment worked on New Year's Day exactly as on ordinary days. The only difference was that the porter, Andrei Rysanovich, had on a uniform with new braiding, his boots had an extra polish, and he greeted every visitor with a Happy New Year to you. It was the morning. Andrei Rysanovich was standing at the door, reading the newspaper. Just at ten o'clock, there arrived a general, one of the habitual visitors, and directly after him the postman. Andrei Rysanovich helped the general off with his greatcoat and said, A happy new year to you, Your Excellency. Thank you, my good fellow, the same to you. And at the top of the stairs, the general asked, nodding towards the door. He asked the same question every day and always forgot the answer. And what is there in that room? The massage room, Your Excellency. When the general's steps had died away, Andrei Rysanovich looked at the post that had come and found one addressed to himself. He tore it open, read several lines, then, looking at the newspaper, he walked without haste to his own room, which was downstairs close by at the end of the passage. His wife, Ifemia, was sitting on the bed, feeding her baby. Another child, the eldest, was standing by, laying its curly head on her knee. A third was asleep on the bed. Going into the room, André gave his wife the letter and said, from the country, I suppose. Then he walked out again without taking his eyes from the paper. He could hear Euphemia with a shaking voice reading the first lines. She read them and could read no more. These lines were enough for her. She burst into tears and hugging her eldest child, kissing him, she began saying, and it was hard to say whether she was laughing or crying. It's from Granny, from Grandfather, she said, from the country, the Heavenly Mother, Saints and Martyrs. The snow lies heaped up under the roofs now. The trees are as white as white. The boys slide on little sledges, and there are old bald grandfathers on the stove. And there is a little yellow dog, my own darlings. Andrei, hearing this, recalled that his wife had on three or four occasions given him letters and asked him to send them to the country. But some important business had always prevented him. He had not sent them, and the letters somehow got lost. And the little hares run about in the fields, Euphemia went on chanting, kissing her boy and shedding tears. Grandfather is kind and gentle. Granny is good too, kind-hearted. They are warm-hearted in the country. They are God-fearing, and there is a little church in the village. The peasants sing in the choir. Queen of heaven, holy mother and defender, take us away from here. Andrei Rysanovich returned to his room to smoke a little, till there was another ring at the door, and Euphemia ceased speaking, subsided, and wiped her eyes, though her lips were still quivering. She was very much frightened of him. Oh, how frightened of him. She trembled and was reduced to terror by the sound of his steps, by the look in his eyes, and dared not utter a word in his presence. Andrei Rysanovich lighted a cigarette, but at that very moment there was a ring from upstairs. He put out his cigarette, and assuming a very grave face, hastened to his front door. 
The general was coming downstairs, fresh and rosy from his bath. And what is there in that room? he asked, pointing to the door. Andrei Rysanovich put his hands down swiftly to the seams of his trousers and pronounced loudly, Charco douche, Your Excellency. The Child's Story by Charles Dickens Once upon a time, a good many years ago, there was a traveller, and he set out upon a journey. It was a magic journey, and was to seem very long when he began it, and very short when he got halfway through. He travelled along a rather dark path for some little time, without meeting anything, until at last he came to a beautiful child. So he said to the child, What do you do here? And the child said, I'm always at play. Come and play with me. So he played with that child the whole day long, and they were very merry. The sky was so blue, the sun was so bright, the water was so sparkling, the leaves were so green, the flowers were so lovely, and they heard such singing birds and saw so many butterflies that everything was beautiful. This was in fine weather. When it rained, they loved to watch the falling drops and to smell the fresh scents. When it blew, it was delightful to listen to the wind and fancy what it said as it came rushing from its home. Or was that, they wondered, whistling and howling, driving the clouds before it, bending the trees, rumbling in the chimneys, shaking the house, and making the sea roar in fury. But when it snowed, that was best of all, for they liked nothing so well as to look up at the white flakes falling fast and thick, like down from the breasts of millions of white birds, and to see how smooth and deep the drift was, and to listen to the hush upon the paths and the roads. They had plenty of the finest toys in the world and the most astonishing picture books, all about scimitars and slippers and turbans and giants and genii and fairies and bluebirds and beanstalks and riches and caverns and forests and valentines and orsons and all new and all true. But one day, of a sudden, the traveller lost the child. He called to him over and over again, but got no answer. So he went upon his road, and went for a little while without meeting anything, until at last he came to a handsome boy. So he said to the boy, What do you do here? And the boy said, I am always learning. Come and learn with me. So he learned with that boy about Jupiter and Juno, of the Greeks and the Romans, and I don't know what, and learned more than I could tell, or he either, for he soon forgot a great deal of it. But they were not always learning. They had the merriest games that ever were played. They rode upon the river in summer, and skated on the ice in winter. They were active afoot, and active on horseback, at cricket, and all games at ball. At prisoner's base, hare and hounds, follow my leader, and more sports than I can think of. Nobody could beat them. They had holidays too, and twelfth cakes, and parties where they danced till midnight, and real theatres where they saw palaces of real gold and silver rise out of the real earth, and saw all the wonders of the world at once. As to friends, they had such dear friends, and so many of them, 
but I want the time to reckon them up. They were all young, like the handsome boy, and were never to be strange to one another all their lives through. Still, one day, in the midst of all these pleasures, the traveller lost the boy as he lost the child, and after calling to him in vain, went on upon his journey. So he went on for a while without seeing anything, until at last he came to a young man. So he said to the young man, What do you do here? And the young man said, I'm always in love. Come and love with me. So he went away with that young man, and presently they came to one of the prettiest girls that ever was seen, just like Fanny in the corner there. And she had eyes like Fanny, and hair like Fanny, and dimples like Fanny's. And she laughed and coloured just as Fanny does while I'm talking about her. So the young man fell in love directly, just as somebody I won't mention, the first time he came here, did with Fanny. Well, he was teased sometimes, just as somebody used to be by Fanny. And they quarrelled sometimes, just as somebody and Fanny used to quarrel. And they made it up, and sat in the dark and wrote letters every day, and never were happy asunder. And were always looking out for one another and pretending not to. And were engaged at Christmas time, and sat close to one another by the fire. And were going to be married very soon, all exactly like somebody I won't mention, and Fanny. But the traveller lost them one day, as he had lost the rest of his friends, and after calling to them to come back, which they never did, went on upon his journey. So he went on for a little while without seeing anything, until at last he came to a middle-aged gentleman. So he said to the gentleman, What are you doing here? And his answer was, I'm always busy. Come and be busy with me. So he began to be very busy with that gentleman and they went on through the wood together. The whole journey was through wood, only it had been open and green at first, like a wooden spring, and now began to be thick and dark like a wood in summer. Some of the little trees had come out earliest, were even turning brown. The gentleman was not alone, but had a lady of about the same age with him, who was his wife, and they had children, who were with them too. So they all went on together through the wood, cutting down the trees and making a path through the branches and the fallen leaves and carrying burdens and working hard. Sometimes they came to a long green avenue that opened in deeper woods. Then they would hear a very little distant voice crying, Father, Father, I am another child, stop for me. And presently they would see a very little figure, growing larger as it came along, running to join them. When it came up, they all crowded round it and kissed and welcomed it, and then they all went on together. Sometimes they came to several avenues at once, then they all stood still, and one of the children said, Father, I'm going to sea. And another said, Father, I'm going to India. And another said, Father, I'm going to seek my fortune where I can. And another, Father, I'm going to heaven. So with many tears at parting, they went, solitary, down those avenues, each child upon its way. And the child who went to heaven rose into the golden air and vanished. Whenever these partings happened, the traveller looked at the gentleman and saw him glance up at the sky above the trees, where the day was beginning to decline 
and the sunset to come on. He saw, too, that his hair was turning gray. But they never could rest long, for they had their journey to perform, and it was necessary for them to be always busy. At last, there had been so many partings that there were no children left, and only the traveller, the gentleman, and the lady went upon their way in company. And now the wood was yellow, and now brown, and the leaves, even of the forest trees, began to fall. So they came to an avenue that was darker than the rest, and were pressing forward on their journey without looking down it when the lady stopped. My husband, said the lady, I am called. They listened, and they heard a voice a long way down the avenue say, Mother, Mother. It was the voice of the first child who had said, I am going to heaven. And the father said, I pray not yet. The sunset is very near. I pray not yet. But the voice cried, Mother, Mother, without minding him, though his hair was now quite white, and tears were on his face. Then the mother, who was already drawn into the shade of the dark avenue, and moving away with her arms still around his neck, kissed him and said, My dearest, I am summoned, and I go. And she was gone. And the traveller and he were left alone together. And they went on and on together, until they came to very near the end of the wood, so near that they could see the sunset shining red before them through the trees. Yet once more, while he broke his way among the branches, the traveller lost his friend. He called and called, but there was no reply. And when he passed out of the wood and saw the peaceful sun going down upon a wide purple prospect, he came to an old man sitting on a fallen tree. So he said to the old man, What do you do here? And the old man said with a calm smile, I am always remembering. Come and remember with me. So the traveller sat down by the side of that old man, face to face with the serene sunset, and all his friends came softly back and stood around him. The beautiful child, the handsome boy, the young man in love, the father, mother, and children. Each one of them was there, and he'd lost nothing. So he loved them all, and was kind and forbearing with them all, and was always pleased to watch them all, and they all honoured and loved him. And I think the traveller must be yourself, dear grandfather, because this is what you do to us, and what we do to you. Good night.